Hey guys, welcome back to Identic Roundtable, the virtual sessions. I'm Wayne Willis, as always, joined by Rob Lewis and Jamie Del Grosso from Identic Group. Hi, boys. Hi. Hi, Wayne. And once again, we're very pleased to have another guest on the show today is Tristan Allen. from Room 44, uh, innovation consultant from Room 44, and also um, the owner of e-bike specialist outlet called Fully Charged Silverstone, based at Silverstone, would you believe? Um, the home of Formula One and Formula E, which sounds pretty exciting, so I'm, I'm sure we'll touch upon that later on. Hi, Tristan, welcome to the show. Thank you, nice to be here. Uh, you're very welcome. Um, Tristan, just to give a very bit of background before we get into it, so primarily you're from the consumer health sector, consumer packaging, uh, but most apt for today's show, um, you have a keen interest and um, uh, active role in mobility, particularly around sustainable mobility and innovating in that sector. Yeah, so background is a long, long time in in commercial roles and product development roles for various corporations. Um, spent quite a bit of time now actually consulting on my own for in the pharma space, um, as you say, consumer health, uh, FMCG, consumer durables, that sort of thing. And through that work, got interested in mobility, distribution models, logistics models, and yeah, started this new venture quite recently actually to try and tap in and make and make solutions more available to people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just so we'll come on to uh, fully charged a little bit more later on, but ju- just as a, a as a starting point for it, primarily this is um, an e-bike outlet and uh, it's, it's essentially about um, travel sustainability in a city travel and uh, a, a sustainable approach to that yeah i think i think that the 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 trend at the moment is for electric vehicles to be centered on urban areas um there's lots of because there's a concentration of people obviously and people use trains and buses and at the moment they're trying to keep apart so this this single vehicle single person vehicle solution is quite useful so in in urban conurbations like london manchester leeds hull whatever we're seeing quite a lot of uptake and in in the sticks certain provinces where we are silverstone milton Keynes, that kind of area the uptake's not been quite so rapid so soon but i think that second wave is coming and it's going to be down to a a the solutions being available to people uh, for different reasons different applications and also local authorities, companies buying into these ideas. And we can talk about a couple of case studies in a minute. And yeah. not to be confused, the, the Room 44 bit, which is my first love, um, the consultancy is completely separate to this. I just happen to run both of them. Yeah, yeah. And a nice compliment to each other, though, because in, in both sides, it's innovation, right? Um, uh, it's just in, in in this case, you're, you're looking at a very specific sector, which is mobility, but a, a hugely growing sector, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Well, nobody says to Peter Jones, "Why do you do? You, what do you do? You do more than one thing, don't you?" So I thought, well, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what? So in in the current crisis, as as we come, uh, we talk about a lot in the the pandemic and the COVID nineteen things, do you think this might be a good stimulus, a good catalyst for for the um, the further development of mobility, sustainable mo- mobility? As you say, uh, at the moment, a lot of people are avoiding travel. Uh, but do you think maybe as we come out of this, there might be a more cautious approach to, uh, you know, like traveling together or um, using public transport? And that that could al- almost help in, in the e-bike world? Certainly, um, s- smaller vehicles like bikes, scooters, single, single occupancy, double occupancy cars, sm- yeah, smaller vehicles are definitely a thing that's coming. Um, I think we're at risk for the next couple of years, this what's been what I've called this morning PCP actually the post-consumer um, period or post-consumer uh, consum- post-COVID consumption um, I think for a while we're going to see people being very mindful of the way they move and travel and 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 behave probably more mindful probably tapping into the circular economy probably doing things a bit more sustainably but I think the trend tends to be human behavior is that we'll slip back into our old, old ways too quickly unless corporates, corporations and institutions like town councils, et cetera, help us stay a bit more green, a bit more mindful. Um, yeah. At the moment, you know, I'll just give you one small example. There's a, there's a business in Milton Keynes that sells cars, well-known brand. They've got three buildings within half a mile of each other. 800 people, of which 300, uh, 40% of them, sorry, live within 3K of the office. But because they all get cars given to them, because sure. this particular brand likes to put second-hand cars on the road um, to keep their, their volume going, 
the inclination for people is to drive everywhere. And that half mile between buildings can cost the company half an hour because someone nips off to the post office on the way to a meeting. And yeah. I think companies will tap onto that kind of um, that, 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 that kind of behavior. And this, this sort of solution, small, smaller units to, to, to move people around more directly um, will become popular. If we can rely on that, if we can persuade companies to do that, and we'll come on to cargo bikes possibly a bit later on, I think people's behaviours will be seen to shift. But only initially in those areas where other things are quite close and easy to get to. Um, yeah. An e-bike may, if you live within 5k of, of, of work, you may be inclined to get on a bike and go there. But you, but you probably aren't going to drive into Hull from Motherby on a bike. No. Um, it's just too far and it can't make, it can't make sense. And then we get into multi multimodal designs, traffic designs, making it easy for people to park the car and ride the rest. All those things have to come in. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Rob, you're an active cycler and you pretty much bike in every day. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, uh, how do you how do you make the sway, really? I mean, what convinces you to because you, you don't live miles away from the office, but it's a fair it's a fair trek, isn't it? And you're quite happy. No, I mean, sort of I mean, Tristan, what, Tristan's a big cyclist as well, so I'll drop him in this as well. But he may have switched right, the battery okay. now. In which case I won't speak to him anymore. But no, no, I, I, I personally find cycling, uh, well, it, it's a practical way to get to work. It's actually faster, and it's a good way of including some exercise in your day, in your day, in your day when you, you normally just sat in your car. And you know, when I first saw e-bikes on the road, it was kind of a thing where you see this guy whose feet are hardly moving, and he seems to be going twenty-five miles an hour. Then you pass him and realise he's actually on an e-bike. You know, so, I, I, and I kind of had a, a disparaging view of them, frankly, because. I'm a Strava dude, just like um, Tristan is, and I like going fast on my road bike. But then you kind of rationalize it and actually realize that these are people who probably wouldn't ride a normal bike. And actually riding an e-bike is actually giving them exercise because they feel m more more likely to go out on the bike. So I, I, I'm, I'm buying into the idea more now. And I'm actually quite gutted we had to do this meeting via Teams because I was dying to have a go on all of your bikes, Tristan. So we'll <laughs> do that. We'll do that soon. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, Robin, so, so, so to your point about the people that use them, in, in, in the cities where, uh, and we'll take health workers as an example just now, yeah. they're working long, they're working hard, they, they probably don't want to be bothered with, with riding a bike to get home, so the battery makes it a bit more bearable. Um, we're seeing partners of cyclists jumping on bikes and yeah. going out in groups, family groups. You know, kids can bounce along on a bike all day long if you ask them to. Um, dad may cycle to work, mum possibly doesn't because she hasn't been able to for so long. Now you put a battery under her bum and she's got the ability to keep up. And even if dad loses her on the flat or on the downhill, she'll catch him on the hills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it does average out. And, and, and we're seeing those, those um, the way people use these bikes aren't being um, publicised in, in, in quite an, in enough ways yet. It's, it's seen as a means of getting from A to B. And actually, now you come to work in Lycra, possibly. I've seen you, so I know you do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I ride 20K now on a bike with a bucket on the front that will carry 100 kilograms. I'm 100 yeah. kilograms on the back. That's a quarter of a ton of bike on the move, you know, yeah. and I can load the front with as much stuff as I want to um, and carry it along and I can get off and I've cycled to work in my jeans and my jacket and I haven't got to get in, get in the shower. Those things are making it easier. You know, just, those little logistical issues that people face all day long, just make it easier. Now go to Valencia and you'll see people on scooters and e-bikes all day long. Go to Copenhagen and people are still riding analog bikes, um, but there are lots of delivery bikes as well. And, and that's another thing. You, you go into city centres and I think as, as what well, I perceive the trend to, to be, that local authorities will start to restrict the movement of small vans, cars into city centres and people will, and, and also cut back on the number of available parking spaces or hiking the price of parking. And now you see a different incentive. It's not a motivation, really. It's an incentive to behave differently. Um, and we're moving in that direction. And I think that's what will eventually be, be the, the tipping point for this sort of travel model. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I guess it's fun. It's fun as well, isn't it? I mean, it, it looks like quite a lot of fun going with 25 miles an hour for not a lot of effort. So well, you can't do that, Rob. So, 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 you, okay. so, so electric bikes in the UK are restricted to 15 and a half miles an hour. Um, okay, and you can, add, you can add the extra. Some people may get around that. I'm not going to yeah. tell you how to do that, yeah, but yeah, there, yeah. there are ways and means. Um, yeah. And you can buy on, on, on other places bikes that already are designed to do faster. In Europe, um, 
you have to be registered as as a as, almost as a moped user really but yeah. you can get electric bikes that that will go at 45 kilometers an hour and, oh, they're, wow. and they're made for that and you know these these are heavy duty bits of kit they they yeah. cost a few quid as well um mm. but that, that actually i wouldn't want to come off um a 45 kilometer mile a 45 no. kilometer bike in lycra because i've done that and it hurts <laughs> <laughs> I, I quite like the the sound of the practicalities of it as well though which which really helps with the movement of it as you, as you say tristan so you've touched upon the, um, the this cargo bikes thing you know where you can be carrying you know quite a lot of gear around with you you know um so so sort of some of the arguments around um referring back to rob to your earlier point of the need to drive to work or whatever actually for, for, for the most part actually you can start to um tackle some of those so if it, if one of those arguments for example is is carrying gear or files or whatever it is that you need to take to the office today they, these new e-bikes are um a, a way to uh, facilitate that and 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 also doing the shopping um yeah. the bike i showed you very quickly just before we started here it's got a bucket on the front it's got two toddler seats with 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 seat harnesses three-point harnesses um now you can that they're designed to, to carry two and three small people or one big person um yeah. and 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 you can go to the shops you can go to the pub you can do all those things that you were doing in the car before you can cycle home and not get done for drink driving it's, it's just it's i think the way that we in the UK view bikes is a little bit unique to the UK. Go, go to mainland Europe and it's much more, you know, people don't insist on having a drop handlebar bike or a mountain bike. They will ride bikes that are intended to do a job. They don't really yeah. care about the fashion of it in, in very many cases. And although we're not going to go in, in quite, or go to that uh, to the same extent, we are going to see many, many more bikes designed for the function that they, they, they perform rather than the way they look. Yeah, I, I, I think. Um, sorry, Tristan, carry on. No, you, no you, you, it's you, a place in the market for both things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were you were talking about business models earlier, and um, obviously, once you get those very functional bikes, <clears throat> then it becomes part of a business model ecosystem, doesn't it? So, if a, if a person wants to do something very very locally, maybe pick up some stuff to make something, take it back to their place and make it, and then distribute it locally, then an e-bike becomes a very practical solution for that kind of business model, doesn't it? Which has to be has to fit loads of trends in terms of what consumers want these days and the planet needs. It, it also help. It also helps a small smaller business or 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 a local uh, business owner or operator to perform a bit differently and probably a bit a bit more economically. Yeah. If you put a van on the road, you've got the price of buying or leasing the van. You've got you you probably got to have somebody over twenty five to get the best insurance price. They they have to have a clean license, and all of a sudden that person has a wage expectation. And yep. you, you could possibly do some of those trips, maybe on a Saturday, on an electric bike with a 14-year-old, because you're allowed to ride them over 14. Now, you've got casual labor, and I know you've got other implications involved in that, and you have to do your own risk assessments. But practically, if you're delivering flowers, let's say, in within a city center, and your only way of doing it before was with a, a, um, a lady or a, or a bloke in a, in a van, and now you can do it much more cheaply and not get hit over the head every day. You go out with a parking ticket and, and not have to buy gas and not have to buy insurance or, or road fund license. It just becomes a different level of proposition. What, 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 why is there such a cultural difference? I agree with you, Tristan. Like if, if, if you go across kind of mainland Europe, you know, it, it, it's almost um, it, I mean, well, it is the norm, isn't it? You know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, you, you almost joke about it that you see sort of push bikes in holland or whatever you know but what why is it so different over here in the uk what what's the um why is it why are we so uniquely not for the kind of day-to-day -day biking I, I i don't know if we are uniquely like that i think we are a little bit unusual to some of these those exemplars so we talk about copenhagen and valencia and barcelona and if you go to lisbon now you know it's a very hilly town but you can do an e-bike tour of barcelona uh, sorry of lisbon we, we've we we tend to blame the weather a bit, um, but go to Copenhagen and there's a flipping sight colder there in the winter than it is here mostly. Yeah, and you, yeah. you still yeah. you, know, you see you see people in February riding along with no gloves and short skirts. It's just the way it is. They they don't have to be quite as they're not quite as um, as fixated on the way they look when they get to work, perhaps, or they have clothes at work they can change into. There's all these little. Little little um, nuances around the way that we travel and, and, and uh, why we do it. I think our road systems don't lend themselves to cycling. Out, out of towns, 
um, on country lanes, we drive quite fast. Um, we're not very careful in the UK. And I think there's some design in, on the infrastructure that has to be made made different. I was talking to a, um, a Dutch fellow who runs an electric bike business in the UK. Um, uh, and he said to me, you know, everybody has Amsterdam as this, as this, this shining this 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 beacon of um of uh of uh, what a, a, a bike culture should look like he said but actually it, it, it's historical you know after, after the war the place got bombed flat so they built it differently they built it with wide roads they they didn't have any money so bikes became the way of getting around and he said to be honest with you if you look at the uk versus to to amsterdam now the only difference is the hills and you put a motor under your bum and the hill goes away and so I think we're just taking a little bit longer to get there, Wayne. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I mean, it, it's, uh, it crosses over two sides, doesn't it? There's a practicality side, so the, the physical build of the bikes, and as you've talked about earlier on, you know, cargo bikes and uh, the, the ability to carry stuff. But, yeah, there's very much a cultural side which needs to be addressed, I suppose, um, which I think we're going to have to start swaying in that direction over here anyway as we're moving on through the years. I mean, particularly with... Uh, the new rules that are coming into place in terms of having um, electric vehicles on the road. I mean, I think the government have brought that target gate uh, target date forward even more now. I can't remember what it is. 20, well, 2032. 32, 32, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, and you know, as it stands, the infrastructure for electric vehicles isn't exactly vast across the UK. I think, you know, it probably needs some work. And, you know, there's cost implications and whatever. So I, I'm just wondering if, if we're entering into a turning point of... Um, looking at more sustainable healthy travel um and and a catalyst of two things happening one regulations coming in to prevent petrol engines essentially but two the restrictions on normal everyday travel and if these things will come together and actually push people into that that direction of looking at bikes as a viable solution i think i think is if you go back to um because i'm very old i can remember this but i was driving when seatbelt and seatbelts were made compulsory and you know no just didn't wear seatbelts before that because it was a bit of a macho thing and 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 at the same time we were smoking in pubs and now we don't yeah. do that either. you know and i think the regulation has has a huge impact on the way people behave and it may take a bit of grumbling and a bit of a bit of time to bite properly but 2032 maybe that date will come forward further still i think we look we tend in in when anybody, a company or anybody looks for an innovative solution, they tend to look at the problem. And this, this issue sits within a, is sort of the hub of a lot of other issues going on as well. So the infrastructures that we, that we deal with today, the way that we approach travel, the way we live our lives, the technologies we employ, all of these things are going to change in parallel to the, the, the need to move around. No, COVID nineteen has been a great example um, example of, of of showing companies that actually you can trust people to work at home because they do do it, and you can you can see when they're online, and if they're not working, they'll probably make it up at night or or first thing in the morning. You know, is uh, there, there's been a real reluctance. So there's so many behaviours in business that are traditional, um, and we, we 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 can't seem to manage our way through those changes because we can't imagine how it could be. If, if, if COVID-19 has done one thing for us, you know, this, this, this crisis, with the, with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, was readable back as far as 2004, when the first predictions of medical papers were written about this kind of thing happening. And then we had SARS and we had avian flu. We got a, got a sense to sort of happen, I think it happened. But we couldn't imagine a pandemic because we'd never seen it before. Not, this, this sort of thing hadn't happened since, the first, since after the First World War when Spanish flu was, was, was the biggest problem around. Now, now we've lived through a time, or we're living through a time when we can, we have seen this. So we should be able to imagine and anticipate change of this kind in many more areas of business. And I think business managers should and will have to take that on board. There's probably going to be some resistance to change still because that's just human nature. But people like us, you know, we, we, we bang the same drum you guys and I do, we go to the companies and we say, can you please look at this differently? And they go, yeah, but we're good at this. I know you are. But actually, over there, this guy's doing that thing and she's doing that thing and you're going to be in a, in a sticky corner in a minute. Take a look at that now. And very often companies don't want to 
don't want to look up to those macro things happening around them. And, yeah, and I, yeah. right, just to finish that thought off, I've been writing, I write quite a lot about this. And I think the trends, the way that we've described trends have always been you know, macro and micro or mega macro and micro. And I, mm. and, and I think macro is dropping out of the mix. You know, we're going straight from mega to the big things that happen across the world because of globalization and environmental issues. They're becoming micro problems for companies very, very quickly. So, so you know, I, there's, a, there's, there's, there's an absolute need, I think, for people like us to go out and keep banging this drum, but also for people that run businesses to be a bit more holistic in their thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've touched upon in, in a few earlier episodes, and we, I suppose we've been saying the same thing for a couple of years now, but in terms of disruption, I guess everyone's in a forced disruption right now, aren't they? You know, the, the thing that you've kind of been warned, you, you, certainly you haven't been warning about a pandemic, but you have been warning, you know, that there, there are going to be disruptions to business purely because of globalization, whether that's a, a, a legislation thing, it could be a financial thing, it could be a market. So lots of things can be disruptive. But in this case, kind of everyone, it's happened to everybody at once to some uh, in some way or other, um, which disease aside, you know, in some way can might it might be positive because it's kind of forcing this this different thinking. Um, and of course, um, the the whole issue around um, being able to travel. I mean, we've never felt so restricted ever before, probably in most of our lifetimes where, you know, we're essentially locked down to a house. It just seems so unusual to us. But and this might just be a placebo thing, so I'm just going to throw this out there. But I think <laughs> I could be way off. But I think it feels cleaner. Do you, do you, do you, you know, like there's so much less travel right now. There's oh, less. My mum, my mum said that yesterday. She said, "I'm looking at the sky and it seems a lot clearer." And I was thinking, you, you really are losing it in this isolation thing. But well, it's you and you and my mum. I, I have to say, I'm not the only one that said it. I just want to say this, but like when. <laughs> You know, because we go out for our one walk a day or one bike ride yeah. a day or whatever it is, and we go and get our bit of fresh air. And of course, there's very limited traffic. There's not really many people walking about. and There's nobody flying, really. It's, everything's reduced substantially, which for me, I always think the, the planet's taking a breather. That's kind of how I look at it. It's almost taking a breath at this point. Um, and a really great opportunity, as, as Tristan touched upon earlier on, is to after this point and, you know, when they get to the point, even after the phased approach and they go, OK, we're back to normal. Do we all just jump back on the aeroplane, get back in our cars, do everything as we always did? And that's just how it is. Or is there a real opportunity at this point to say, well, look, we've survived three months or four months or whatever it might be in this bizarre kind of reduced period why can't that transfer over? And and it links very nicely into s sustainability, which um, you know is a problem for all of us, right? So I mean, this this is a, a prime time to start looking at it. I, yeah. I personally think that. Sorry, Jamie, were you gonna? Yeah, I, just, I think one thing that I've always uh, said when it comes to people adopting new ideas is um, people always see something new as some sort of inconvenience. You know, they don't like the idea of having to change what they've always done. And when people adopt stuff, it tends to be when the benefits outweigh what they perceive as that inconvenience. Um, but I think because of the situation we're in now, like you said, people have been forced to think differently because they don't really have any other choice. And I think people are now trying things, seeing different ways of doing things because they have no other option. And then realizing, you know, this isn't actually as much of an inconvenience as I thought. Um, I mean, we've mentioned it before, and Tristan, you made the point. Remote working, so many people fear the idea of letting their employees work from home. It's like this terrifying concept. They have no, no other option to do that now. And I think people are now realizing it's actually not as bad as we thought. We can manage that team well. We can let people work as they need to work and get the job done. And I think when we come out of this, there'll be people that have been forced to think like that. And we'll maybe be a little bit more embracing of some of these new ideas that come forward afterwards. So I, I think we, we tend to treat people like... We don't give people the full benefit of their ability. Sometimes, you know, you you look at anybody that works in any company, and you and 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 all life is there. You've got brain surgeons, and you've got people that are, you know in in Mensa, and you've got people that can't add two and two. But they all manage their daily budget. They all manage their wage. And they all pay the mortgage, and they all get through life. You know, and and yet they may have a very menial job. Well, okay, that's 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 just the way they that's just the position they found themselves in. We we've got. People, we can see companies at the moment taking advantage of this situation by sweating the nuts off the people that work for them. And if you work for America and work and 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 work with Asia, and and you're on Teams, you could be 
you know, you could be on the phone for 18 hours a day. And, and this is how it used to be back in the 80s when, when, when email was first. I don't know if you remember CC mail became email and it became a real macho thing or a real corporate thing to, to respond to every single email as soon as it came in because your laptop would ping and tell you that something's there. You know, and that's kind of how co- I, I perceive some companies are treating their people like that now. They're so hell-bent on trying to maintain things as they were that they're losing sight of the, of, of, of the way things could be. And I reckon that's going to damage them in the longer term because smaller startups without the infrastructure who don't get on play anyway because they may be using Generation Z, Z, whichever, um, you know, th- these people are hitting their mid-20s now. They they don't drive as regularly as, as we do. They, they, they haven't been used to getting on planes in the same way that the older generations have because they, they, they haven't had to. They've been utilising... Um, different comms techniques and, and techs for a long time. They they will they will disrupt the bigger corporations even more than the bigger corporations were always good, were already going to be, um, just by adopting new new ways of doing it. And I think companies also have to look at the risks the risks of putting people on planes and making them drive around because COVID nineteen is is said, and I'm not any kind of medical expert, but you know it's said that it's going to mutate. Well, you know. I, I, I wrote last week, I don't know if you read it, that um, people in the media have started saying, when we have a vaccine, it, it'll provide immunity for as long as it lasts. Well, <laughs> you know, immunity used to mean immunity, and now it means a time-based thing because the disease could become something different. You know, these, these, these are all factors that, 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 that is going to become very, very disruptive if people don't maintain the way they're working now, if they try and go back to the way it was. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a real game changer, actually, because I think that the shock to to the system in terms of business community, to everybody, really, um, I think people will now be questioning, uh, well, what happens if this happens again next year or something else happens again next year and and we're hit with this same thing? And and almost maybe it'll be a, a, um, a legislation thing as well, where governments around the world come in and say, you now have a duty of care to, as a business, for example, to ensure that you're in a position to uh, be, be prepared and get around, you know, world events, which might be, you know, something like a pandemic or a financial crash or whatever it might be. But, you know, you know, you the reliance on the government, right, luckily, the government here, for the most part, has, has stood in and sort of said, look, we'll we'll try and keep the wages going and we'll try and keep the economy going and that, which is going to cost us in the long run. I'm sure we'll see the the, the backlash of that. But, um, you know, in the same way as uh, the financial side of it, from the health side of it as well, with the NHS sort of saying, look, you can see what happens to us when we get into this strain where uh, there's like a pandemic and it, the, the reliance on us is to try and help you. Now, you have a responsibility as an individual to try and prevent and mitigate that as much as possible by taking care of yourself in your own lives and, you know, preventing, um, uh, you know, health complications that come along. And I just think just linking back to the bikes thing, this is really interesting because you start looking at all all these different areas. You know, the fact is cycling or even e-bikes or whatever it might be. It, you know, it's healthy. It's exercise. You're outside. You're not relying on the car, and it, it you're, that's a way of being being good. You know, preventing pre- preventing um, cardio issues or whatever it might be. From an environmental point of view, it's healthier. You know, there's less emissions. There's less cost involved. There's less need for you know all the carbon footprint that comes from a vehicle, um, and also in in a cost. Um, manner you know there's a it kind of links quite nicely with being able to facilitate that um remote working and the way that people get around and interact with each other without that need of this central drive into this you know headquarters in the city center or whatever where everybody comes in you know so it it plays into all these different pots i think and 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 you will get people saying well people work better when they co-locate and you and 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 they do uh, function better when they can see each other and talk, and I think that's probably been true to a point for a long time. But th- but technology hasn't enabled this level of in- interaction that we have now. We haven't had Microsoft Teams, we haven't had Zoom, we haven't had those things. We had Skype for years, which was you know as good as good as it got basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. I, there's there's lots of things coming together here to 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 drive us over the edge of a of of, of a different way of doing things. And I, but I, but I do think it's a responsibility of us as individuals as well to, to recognise what we're doing for the community, what we're doing for the environment. You know, it, as soon as we were all sent home, 
pollution in city centres dropped by 40%. That says to me there's 60% pollution coming out of buildings <laughs> because if the cars are driving around, well, you know, let's look at that. Um, if, if, we, if we can reduce the amount of pollution in the environment by not driving the car and, hey, we proved it, then we have to do that more often. And the way that COVID is predicted in some quarters is to say, well, if, if it's going to mutate, we're going to be sent home more often. So we have got an opportunity to reduce emissions by the fact that we periodically will not be allowed out of the house again. Now, that's that's a whole different different scenario. Now, that's that we haven't seen that since any of us have been alive. You know, restrictions on movement have never been a thing in the UK. Get, getting across the water to Europe may be a different thing soon, but, you know, we seem to have forgotten about Brexit for the moment. <laughs> but, you know, so, 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 so I've started to adopt this, this, this idea that we should ask ourselves questions about travel as if we were a 12-year-old. Because when you're a 12-year-old, you've got four choices. You can walk, you can ask for a lift, you can get on a bus or a train, or you can ride a bike. Those, those pretty much are your four options. And I, and I, and I think if we mindfully ask ourselves what's best you know how can i most efficiently do this trip i may want to share a car okay well zips out there and lots of other you know ubers out that you can do that those are all facilitating that change taxis buses um do i want to do it on my own if there's a health risk single means of transport so again the secret's going to be not just in encouraging us to go back to the way that we were before. And I think that business, I've said this a few times already, has its responsibility to enable us not to go back. And I think at the moment, lots of businesses, larger ones, are keen to try and recover the way it was because that's what the financial models that they work to will recognise most, most readily. Yeah, we, we're involved in a local uh, initiative called the Waterline, which is about using the Humber to do decarbonisation projects and we, at an earlier kickoff meeting of that, we made the point that a lot of environmental technology or sustainability approaches are effectively enabling business as usual. Whereas what we really need to do is completely change behaviour. And it's you know, and, and and it's interesting that it takes like it takes something like this to to for people to work out how they can do things differently. And it, it actually drives it actually makes me more than slightly annoyed, frankly, because you know we all of us on this call spend a lot of time going to talk to clients or potential clients, saying what if this happens, what if that happens. And you need to innovate to stay ahead of that. And it, it, very often, no one listens to it. And I thought, you know, it, it's remarkable. You speak to certain brands about why if a competitor does why, knowing that probably someone is working on why, but they just can't see that as a threat. So I, I think all of this changing that kind of approach could be really interesting. I personally think a lot of people are just going to sit back and go, thank God for that. Let's get back on with um, making the whatever we made before and uh, make some money again. But it's the guys who can adapt that are going to be the guys that are in the future you know big players but we'll see what i think even if the businesses uh some businesses don't change we will see a change in the individuals and the consumers yeah. because of this and it will change how people spend it will just change how people live i mean one thing's for certain is you know when we come out of this i i think a lot of people will become a lot more aware of the health um and and thinking more about preventative health and looking after themselves better um so that'll change how people move about it'll change how people shop um, I think actually what you're doing, Tristan, is, is like a, a great middle ground for that kind of thing, because there's a lot of people that coming out of this will want to be healthier. They'll, you know, think about how they get about. Um, but also one of the factors that stops people doing these things normally is laziness. Um, mm. And, you know, it's great being all enthusiastic and bike into the office in the morning. But if you're one of those people that by the time gets five o'clock, think I just don't want to bike back now. I've had the long day. I want to get back. An electric bike is a perfect balance between that because you can be as motivated as you want in the morning and then just sit on it and press the button and go um <laughs> yeah, well, i think <laughs> so, so just legally we shouldn't say that because <laughs> okay. that sort of bike you can buy i'm sure and, and um but but, but, the, but the pedal assist is is the, is the way that we are regulated it at the moment but as you right. say you know, all, all solutions are out there yeah, <laughs> yeah. Either, yeah. i mean it's still it's it's uh, for people that you know kind of want to ease into it and don't want to get straight on Strava and start, you know, doing these crazy bike races. You know, it's, it's a lot, uh, it's like kind of a softer entry into that. And I think there will be a big market for that as we come out of this. Um, and that's obviously going to have an effect on businesses. You know, people are going to be getting into the office differently. We're buying products from those businesses differently. Uh, if you're a business that hasn't changed, but a business you're working with has, they may expect you to operate differently to facilitate that relationship. So, um, 
I think it will cause a change for everybody. Whether you choose to adopt it or you get forced into it is a different matter, but I think everyone will see a change at the end of this. So so it's so at the moment we're seeing some some things happening in um because more people are buying more locally at the moment. Yeah, Amazon is this great <laughs> this great god of consumerism, which is out there and it's uh, servicing all our needs just now. And and I'm sure lots of people are very grateful for it. As as Hermes are, as Asos are, you know, these 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 guys are you know, delivery drivers and our frontline workers. Um, there's also a trend in retail that we're starting to see in in retail food supply. The, the supply chain broke down. You know, we couldn't keep, the retailers couldn't keep up with demand for a period of time and people were just behaving in, a, in, a, in an irrational manner. Out of that has come, I, I think, uh, an inclination towards retailers stocking the essentials and less of the less of the luxuries. Now that that to me says there's an opportunity for local business. If it if it becomes if it ever were to become possible that we don't crave strawberries in January and we are happy to buy a cauliflower from Cornwall instead, then you've got a different sort of food supply model and eating seasonal and slow food. Those things are, could come through as well. At the moment, in 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 some towns, um, there's a couple not too far from here. And I admit they're probably the end of the tube line, so they're a little bit more affluent, perhaps. But they, you know, these these people to survive, the retailer, the deli in the high street is saying, "Okay, you you ring me up and I'll bring it to you." The baker down the road has gone, "I'll I'll put my bread in the same cargo bike as the deli and we'll bring them both to you." Now that's not Amazon doing it; that's the local retailer adapting to its environment and the community supporting them. Now I think we we. You know, we're going to, when, when the gates are lifted and then we can all go back into the high street, we are going to see people running back into Costa because they want to get their fix of the way it was. And then I think we'll get a bit of reflection and people will start thinking, well, you know, I don't know if COVID's gone away yet because we haven't all had it and it's still around. We've just been told we can go out and we're trying to develop this herd, uh, this herd um, resistance to the, to the yeah. bug. Well, maybe some of those larger homogenous change will start to fade away and, and, and leave a bit of space in the high street for more local retailers and maybe the guys that could only find sp afford space on the farmer's market to buy to buy space periodically and go in and sell seasonally because farmers don't sell pork all year round they don't you know they lamb comes once a year so i think i think those things have yet to filter through as well and they're really hard to predict and going back to rob's point about talking to clients about you know about selling the future it's the devil's own job to sell the future because we generally we haven't had the experience to be able to empathize with your or my view of things they may be different but i'm damn sure the the cfo in a in a, in a largest business is going to find this really hard to come up with if it threatens anything that's going to change his numbers sales yeah. directors similarly no because they all work to, to numbers and time and yeah i think i think we are seeing yeah i Covid has given us a, a different view of the world, and I think we're going to be. Hopefully, we'll see more inclination for these guys that manage businesses to embrace the idea of change. Just to finish that thought, I've got a, uh, an ex-client actually, um, an insurance business that told me that they they have a no regrets policy when it comes to forecasting the future. They have they had up to thirteen live scenarios in play at any one time gathering data, feeding them into a system so they can anticipate what's going to happen next. Didn't see this coming. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so, so you just, so, so the reason why consultants like us, I think, I've, I would say this, wouldn't I, but I've been working from home for 20 years old and doing this sort of work for a long time, we see it different to them. And that naivety that we bring to their table ought to be valuable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah agreed. Yeah. I, uh, I think actually it's more a case of um, seeing things sort of a bit more realistically um, because I mean, we talk about seeing things differently, but actually I think for a lot of people it's a case of comfort. They're so used to things working in this nice, comfortable way and, and you know, the world working this way that's kind of comfortable for us. Um, but the realism is that, you know, nothing is sort of guaranteed those things can change and that is the real nature of the world. So... Uh, when we go out and we're talking to people, it's not so much, you know, you know, imagine this different future. It's like this is this could happen. These things, you know, 
can happen at any point you could be disrupted at any point and it's i think a lot of it's more a case of being prepared and creating resistance um and i think a lot of people just see it as like this pie in the sky future thing um but actually it's it's not so much a luxury as it is survival um and this this is just sort of putting that uh, under the spotlight now and, sh- and showing people that how important it is to to embrace these things yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, we 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 operate at a certain level. You operate at a certain level. You know, Deloitte and Boston Consulting operate at a different level. I I I think you know I've always said this that that we we probably offer a a level of consultancy that those large operations can't offer because they they are too fixated on system and process. Yeah. Um, and the design thinking mantra is always to start with the consumer, the consumer need, and anticipate what their unmet need is going to be, and help the client to to, to find their, their to design their own roadmap to achieve that bit. And I write this all the time, and I won't I won't I won't hesitate to say it again. I, I had a boss so a long time ago said to me, he was a seller, he said, said, you know, the secret of good management is figure out where they're going and just get there first. <laughs> that, you know that may paraphrase innovation to a large extent but actually if you know where you're going and you can walk alongside the consumer and eventually you you sort of you arrive at the same point then happy days and but that longer term view doesn't fit within a three-year financial plan sometimes yeah. and you work really hard to sell that one in yeah yeah i i, I wonder what the sort of um, global situation is going to be because i'm like and what I'm, I'm, I get a product made in China. I spoke to those guys last week, and they're all fully powered back up and back up full full manufacturer. So China's obviously going to want to still make loads of stuff and ship it around the world to every consumer on the planet. We know what Mr. Trump's doing, you know, ignoring the whole situation, and you know that they're they're unlikely to change, you know, adapt in in any way. So I wonder whether there's going to be a different situation with those two massive economies, you know, continuing business as usual, and other people working out different ways of doing things. Which could could be in a really interesting situation, couldn't it? Well, the data would suggest that, that if 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 America continues to behave the way it is, then they they're going to suffer quite badly. Yeah, um, exactly. Just for human loss of life. I mean, yeah. there there the, 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 there was a reel last week. I don't know if you saw it from Michigan. The um, protests in the street it was about being yeah. locked. And there was a woman yeah. lent out of her car and said, "We've had enough. We should be allowed to go and buy what we what we need." And she leant forward and showed the camera her roots. <laughs> the hair roots, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about this, wasn't we? we, we yeah. had a conversation this one, you know, we. I think Jamie's point about we've become used to globalization. I, I think actually the globalization uh, shine has worn off a little bit. Mm. Um, there's there's a little bit of you know the the supply chains have broken down. China wasn't open all hours. We couldn't get everything we wanted when we needed it. People are starting to mitigate the risk of, against the risk of that supply chain failure again. Going, and and that could drive manufacturing back into uh, country markets. If you need it here, you might find it being made here. There's lots of suggestions around automotive, for example, that you don't make cars in one place and ship them around the world. You you put a factory of robots up and you supply it wherever the market is. And and because electric vehicles are a bit easier to make than you know. There's less moving parts, let's say, um, than a than a than a um, uh, internal combustion engine. Then it could be easy to do, and that kind of model as well, at that sort of macro strategic level, um, may be a thought process going on in in people's minds. We 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 have some work in the supplements market, and the principal said to me last week, "Can we start looking around for different sources for this particular compound?" Because it comes from China and it's been a problem. The world wants it and we can't supply it. So I think I think there is management level thinking around that going on. But it, you know, if you can't buy from anywhere else but India, you're gonna have to buy from India because that's where the stuff is grown. But that's not the way it's always that's not the way it is for everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, I think you know the 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 old term ignorance is bliss. You know, on a very micro level, and and, and it, ultimately, you know, you you're not going to want to change stuff unless you feel like it, you're directly directly affected by it um, to some extent. Which is why I think this situation that we're in now, it potentially, and I don't think it's utopia thing, and I think it's potentially it could be the catalyst for some form of change. Just on, and if you can change on on a micro level 
at, at, at enough of a pace, then hopefully that should filter up to the kind of the macro effect of it. So, I mean, you know, just on a daily basis, so if we go back to the earlier point of the conversation, you know, you're kind of going out for your limited exercise, you're finding it difficult to get to the supermarket or whatever because of the restrictions there. So you, you, you're shopping locally, you're going more to your high street, which means you're likely walking there or cycling there or whatever you know they these these minor changes that hopefully certainly i've noticed in my own um daily life that um hopefully you'll be able to continue through after kind of it passes you know and, and you go to the next stage um and i just think it's really interesting this opportunity just going straight back to the mobility point you know the whole the whole opportunity around that you know in terms of um the impacts that it can have uh, on health, in environment, in, in the way that we work, in the way that we communicate, the way that we shop, um, you know, these things all link together. And I, I think it, 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 it's really exciting what the future looks like for that. You know, ultimately, if they're going to be pulling cars off the road, then what, what's the alternative? A, a bike, a good bike to get around on. And if you don't need to do that extensive travel to live your everyday life because you're shopping locally or you're not going to the head office or whatever it might be, then all of these things interlink together, you know, and um, it certainly won't happen overnight. But each of these little steps is a little catalyst to help, I think. Yeah. And and, and and I go back to the point as well. You know, I started this bike thing because I, I felt there was a need to try and make a difference. You, know, you guys make music and Rob makes inner souls because we perceived a consumer need and we, and we thought we'd fill a market need. I, I've, I've done that with this. I think people, I'm not saying we're exemplars of <laughs> good practice, but it's not all about the money either. Um, and, and, and I think that's, that's actually quite an important part. But, you know, before COVID-19, there was lots of rumblings. You look around some of the consumer, uh, some of the trade presses around the, the emotional um, value of a brand and what, you know, why brands need to, need to understand their relationship with customers more than just pumping stuff into markets. And I, I think that's, that's also a fact that we could discuss on another program, perhaps. But you know, the, the way that the way that brands, well-known brands, um, manage, behave, have responsibility for uh, their consumers' behaviours, I think is important to recognise as well in this. And you know, if if, if Coke keeps selling sugar and a hundred billion plastic bottles a year, then I I, I know it's, it's it's probably daft to say they can't survive because they probably will. But it's not the it's not the best thing for the planet, is it? Um, oh, no. And 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 then they're just one brand that pumps single use plastics into the environment. I had a phone call on Sunday from a a friend I used to work with, and he he's managed plastics factories for years, and he said what what COVID nineteen has has told him is that the world does need plastic. <laughs> okay. There's a job to be done right there. We should have yeah. that conversation sometime, guy, because you know. Yes, there is, but it, it was always selective, and the use the use of materials that can easily damage the planet have to be used in a more discerning way. And yeah. again, that's that that comes back to money is the motive, money is the incentive. You know, I don't think consumers are going to keep sucking up up that mantra. I think they are they're they're looking around for different sorts of packaging now. They're looking around for products, food without packaging. Um, they don't want everything to look the same. They don't mind a few lumps and bumps on stuff. And mm. if, 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 if consumers can keep that pressure onto the supply chain to, to, um, to, to not keep throwing things away and pumping bad stuff into the planet, then, you know, I know it sounds a bit, a bit um, cosmic and hippie to say this, but I think those values are beginning to come back. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree with that. And, and like I said earlier, I think this situation is kind of a, a – you know, you put like a, it's like a cosmic slap in the face to everyone, sort of give them a, a reality check um, that, you know, this comfortable life um, that we live in and, you know, these kind of rose-tinted glasses that we have, that everything is great. Um, it, it's kind of peeled them away and shown us what can happen if we, you know, if things don't go as, as we planned. Um, so I, I think, you know, people were already starting to move into that kind of direction where people were becoming more aware of, uh, you know, the environment and their health and various other things. But this is just going to be like a, you know, like a jetpack strapped to the back of that. And I think it's going to really accelerate the way people see those things. Um, and the companies, you know, that refuse to change, I think what they'll probably see is consumers 
maybe pulling away from those brands um, and, and some form of backlash from those uh, from from looking at those things. Yeah, yeah, and, and just just finally, I think with what's going on right now, particularly we're seeing on the news every day with the the strain that the health system is under in particular. Um, and, you know, everyone's rallying together and you're seeing all the stuff on social media. So you've got to help our NHS and help the doctors and nurses and stuff, which I completely agree with. And the support with is absolutely there. But hopefully they'll still have that mantra afterwards, you know, and they continue that thinking and saying, well, look, me doing this has a knock on effect to this, whether that's an environment thing or whether that's a health thing or whether that's a financial thing or whatever it might be. Um, and, and that's all we can hope for is that, you know, that that thinking changes and, you know, it filters up. I say filters up because it's hard, as you said, touched upon earlier on, Tristan, it's hard to get an FD or a sales director or whatever to think in this from a corporate point of view, you know, the effect because it doesn't fit into this bubble of this is our three year plan or whatever. Um, and it almost that that force needs to be needs to be driven up there. And hopefully that will come from the ground up. Um, so if anything positive comes out of this awful time that we're in, I'm, ho- I'm, I'm hoping it's that um gents this has been really interesting I, i'm just aware that we're going on as always longer than i anticipated for but these are these topics that you could just talk about forever you know and you could go into all different worlds um tristan just to go back to uh fully charged uh where can people find out more about the the e-bikes and what you guys are doing so two two addresses fullycharged.com um gives people access to the full range of um bike, the about 10 brands that we carry um we work in partnership with a a South London independent retailer. So Silverstone is a wholly owned by me um, branch of that business. Um, but we work very closely together um, and they've been very, very useful. Well, without them, we couldn't have done this. Um, and then there's Room 44, obviously, which is room44.co.uk, which is my own innovation consultancy. And the yeah, we preach the mantra of design thinking, um, like, like many others, like you guys do. And, you know, we'll work together one day as well, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and I was just going to ask, um, have you taken an e-bike around Silverstone yet? If <laughs> <laughs> the circuit's been closed. Um, oh, it's, it's I want to see that. That's going to be the best social media video ever, I'm sure. So I, but I have I have skateboarded around it. Um, not <laughs> not not recently. I've got, I've got a 40-inch longboard, and I, and I I have skateboarded around it. I have to say, it took my right hand about six months to get over it because <laughs> the hills aren't. <laughs> The hills aren't very the hills aren't helpful enough downhill and they're a bugger going up. Um but I, but next time the track's open, I will have some e-bikes out there for people to try and have a go. Yeah, definitely. That is gonna be guys, this is why we need to get down to Milton Keynes to do this. Because if we can have a if we can have an e-bike race day around Silverstone, then that's the dream. It'll be just and a half miles an hour though, except me. <laughs> can you get off and run with it? Can you put yeah. Uh, listen guys thanks very much thanks thanks for being on the show today uh people at home thanks very much for tuning in we've covered a lot of topics today and uh, i know we've gone through but they're, they're, they're all connected and you know um hopefully you're all coping with this um this time that we're going through and you, you've taken a little bit of um a little bit of stimulus about what we've been talking about today to help you through how you might move forward after, after this pandemic passes as always leave your thoughts in the comments if you have any thoughts or get in touch if you want to um, raise your own points or ask any questions we're here for you and uh, we'll see you for the next video thanks very much gents see you again Cheers, thank you Bye. thank you Bye. Cheers. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Willis Talks. If you enjoyed that, be sure to subscribe to the Willis Talks podcast and share on your social media channels. And you can also find me across all the social media channels at Willis Talks. Until next time, see ya.